Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We're going to take a look today at a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to really look starting at verse 6, but I want to read verses 3 all the way through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll begin our reading in verse 3. If you are at all familiar with Paul's writings and the structure of his letters, you'll know that he is nearing the end of his life. And yet he gives us some advice here that is absolutely incredible. And I want us to take a look at this today, what he has to say to a young pastor at Ephesus named Timothy. Um, He is quite dear to Paul. He calls him his son and the ministry, and so he has a great relationship with him, but he has some warning and some great advice for him. I'm going to ask, if you would, to stand together this morning as we reverence the reading of the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, this, that's the crux of the whole passage, but you, Timothy, The world has come unmoored from truth, but you, the world looks looks crazy. And I I would say we've entered that time. Would would you agree? I think we're there. I think we've qualified finally. I don't know if they've settled it, but I I wasn't at the meeting, but I, I think we're there. But you, you're not to be like them. Youth, hear what he says. You be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. In the future there is already laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Secrets of godly success. That's our title today. Um, I want to talk about that for a second, and then we will move into the meat of what Paul has to say. There's so many books 
that have been written about how to be successful. I, I have two things that I will say at the outset about success. It's good news and it's bad news. The good news is this. We will all be successful. That's not just Christians, everybody. You will be successful. You just hang on. The bad news is we will all be successful. If you go back to the root of the word success, and nowadays it, it, it's kind of grown to mean, and it's one of the definitions that you'll find, that, that you, you did well. You reached your goal, or you made a certain amount of money, or whatever. It is a positive thing. But I like to, I, I, I love to study the etymology of words. I need to probably work on that one. But I love to study the origin of words and see how they came together. And in the 1500s, this word really came about. In the Latin, it is successus. And successus is also the word that we get the word succession from. There, it means a result or an outcome to advance something. And succession means there's a continuity, a sequence or a series. So here's the thing. It is passing on who I am and what I believe to the next generation. That is success. Think about succession. And whether it's good or bad, parents, I would say this to you uh, and all of us, but especially to us parents and grandparents. We teach what we know, but we pass on who we are. And I don't care how loud you teach, you will never overcome the volume level of who you are. I don't care how many good things you say, I don't care what you forbid your children to do, I don't care how you encourage them, I don't care how many good things you tell them, I don't care if you talk about church and God's Word or whatever. I can tell you who we are will always drown out what we say. And that's what we will pass on. And I can tell you, and some of you parents, I know you, you have experienced it. One of the, the most grueling things you'll ever go through is when you see one of your kids doing something that, boy, they just absolutely have no business doing, and you know exactly where they learned it. Oh, yeah. When you start seeing your wife and your children, it's, it's bad, isn't it? No, when we see ourselves, and it's not something we taught them, but they caught who we were. I don't care if you tell your kids how important God is. If God is not important in your life, then God is not important. And here's the bad thing. Most of the time, the next generation will do in excess what the generation prior did in a limited amount. We get worse. Our children will take it sometimes to another level. So I would say this. Make sure you understand that who we are will succeed us. It will go on to those who are watching our lives. And Paul is talking here 
to young Timothy. And he tells him, he says, listen, my time has come, but I want you to know there is a time coming, Timothy, when people will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. That, that word really means to be scratched. And the only way I know how to tell you is, uh, boy, uh, if, if you, your wife, you get her to scratch your back, you know, uh, Loretta and I figured out a way to do that. I call, I name a state, and she'll get over there. No, 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 West Virginia. I, oh, right there. And, and so that's how we navigate <laughs> scratching my back, okay? Uh, but I can tell you, you know what it feels? Oh, when she finally gets right, uh huh, right there. And, and you're like a dog, your foot is jumping, and you, you're just, mm, oh, uh huh, keep on right there, right there. That is exactly what Paul is talking about here. That itch, those heresies possibly, it might be some truth from God's Word, but even when we preach and uh, we are saying things even that are true, if it really hits home with us, if it scratches the right spot, and it could be a good thing. I mean, it's great to amen what God has done. The songs today... Man, we're just full of awesome promises from God. How could you not get excited about that? that? That's awesome. But I can also tell you heresy works the same way. There are people who leave orthodox preaching, teaching, Bible-believing churches, and they're in search of someone, some pastor, that will scratch just the right spot. They've got a little bit of theology. It's not biblical. It's just something they've always thought. It was how they were raised or something they believed. Or it came from a book they read. And when they find a pastor that can... Oh, right there. Yes, we're joining this church today. It feels good. Paul says that's what people will do. They've turned their ears away from the truth. They've got a spot of heresy on their back. They don't realize it's a theological melanoma. And they're looking for a preacher. Oh, that's what I believe right there. Amen? See, when people say that to me, you know, that means really nothing. I'm glad you believe it if it's the truth. But my job is not to preach what you believe. My job is to preach what God has said. If it scratches a spot, great. If it doesn't, then that's too bad. I'm not in the, in the, I'm not been called to find out what will really bring you out of the seat. And believe you me, I've preached long enough. I know, I know how to fish amens out of a crowd. Oh, Lord have mercy. There's a few political names you can mention and a few special issues you can bring up, boy, and you can have them in a lather in just a, a few minutes. And, and I know sometimes uh, preachers love doing that. It, it's a temptation. And, and some, if they don't get an amen, they'll ask for them. Amen, somebody? Thank you. I'm affirmed now. Hey, buddy. I thought that was you sitting over there. Well, he says they'll turn away from the truth, though. That's the problem. And what they're amen and aha is things that God does not teach. He tells Timothy those days will come, but you, 
you are to be different. You're not to be like them. We are in a world, and I say this especially to the youth that are here today, man, we are in a world that has lost its mind. It's lost its soul. It's, it's, lost, it's lost touch with, with reality. In fact, we live in a world that's at war with reality. We live in a world that is absolutely in denial of reality, whether even God has anything to do with it or not. But when it comes to the things of God, it is like a shield goes up almost immediately. It's almost like the, the first thing is, I, you're not going to tell me what to do, and, 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 and I'm, not, I'm not really into organized religion. Never have figured out exactly what that means. But I'm just into whatever, and we have come unmoored from real, objective, absolute truth, and we are now fully adrift. Richard Niebuhr said one time, and this was probably 40 years ago, we have so humanized God and so deified man, we can barely tell the difference. We decide how we want to live our lives. We decide what we want to do with ourselves. Self is replaced soul. And we do whatever we like. Well, that's the world Paul warns Timothy of. He says, though, to be successful in a godly way, there's some things he says, Timothy, you need to keep your eye on. Number one, your focus. Our focus. In verse 6, this was Paul's focus. He said, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. He said, I have had to keep my eyes on the prize and realize that I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. And, and there's a lot to unpack there, and we don't have the time for all of it. But drink offering is a Greek word, spendestai, and you hear the word spend in that. And when he talks about, I'm ready to just be dumped out like a liquid offering. Now, the Romans did this, but the Jews did it as well. In the Old Testament, they would have sacrifices in the temple, and at certain sacrifices, they would pour out wine, strong wine, uh, after the sacrifice was ready. The Romans also, even though they were pagans and it was to gods that didn't really exist, they too, after a meal, I guess it was a pagan way to say the blessing. They would pour out a glass of wine, sometimes over a big meal that they had just finished eating. So we don't know if which one of these that Paul is trying to uh, relate to, but he is simply saying this, I am like a drink offering. He says, Timothy, I am nearing the end of my life. And he says, I got to tell you, I have to keep in mind, my focus has to be that I am a servant of God. And I am to do whatever God calls me to do. And he says, I'm already, says, I'm already being poured out like a liquid offering. Now, if you think about a liquid, there's nothing more compliant than a liquid. Nothing more biddable or docile or meek or submissive than a liquid. He says, I am not at the end of my life to set things straight to find Demas and give him a good talking to, or go find Alexander the coppersmith, who he will later in this chapter say, he did me a lot of harm. I'm not at the end of my life to stand up and, 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 and deal with all the people that talk 
to, uh, down to me or, or, or got, got, you know, on my nerves. I, I looked it up to see, because uh, I'm old and things change when, you know, a lot, when the older you get. At one time, the number one song sung at funerals was Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. Don't sing that at my funeral. <clears throat> sing that when I shoot my arm off, okay? <clears throat> he did it his way. Oh, yeah. Worked great. <laughs> I did it my way. Man, now he, Paul says, I'm not, now we're not doing old blue eyes at my funeral. He said, I, I, I have to stay focused on all of that because I have to remember there's a lot of hurt and there's been a lot of pain and I have to remember now's the time not for me to rebel and bow up. He said, I am, I'm about to die. They're going to behead me. And he says, at my first trial, nobody even showed up. I could be bitter and I could be full of hate over all of that, but I have to keep my focus that I am nothing more than a liquid. Just poured out, filling in the cracks and gaps. I have no will of my own. I will die, but the cross I've borne all my life will soon bear me. And Caesar will not take my life, for I have given my life to God. I have to keep that in mind. I know it's easy to forget, is it not? And I've discovered this. Often it's not that ministry is too hard. Sometimes we're too hard for ministry. We're too demanding. We're too like, well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to get on that team, Pastor, because there's a whole lot of things going on there. I, don't, I just think they could do a better job with this, that, and the other. Most of the people that have those comments don't even want to get on that team. They just want to make sure you knew that they could be doing a better job. And when you invite them to help out with doing a better job, then they find a reason that they can't. But I'm just telling you, ministry, some people, when you got near it that one time, remember how it got on your nerves? Remember how you didn't like having to listen to what other people had to say and how you didn't like being humble and how it took up your time and, and how people didn't appreciate you and how no pastor came and thanked you for all your hard work? You remember what ministry was like. My goodness, God set us free. Paul says, Timothy... Don't lose focus. Secondly, he talks about his fight. Our fight, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. Three words. The, the fight. That means it's something that's common. It's something that we all share. I fought the fight. It's sort of like when I come to you as a fellow Christian and I say, man, how's the fight going? You know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you and your wife. Most of the time. I'm talking about you war with the flesh. The discouragement, that's, that's probably, I, I, that's probably the, one of the biggest. I mean, I, uh, uh, lust and temptation and like that, I mean, it, it's all in there. I, I, all of that works overtime in my life. But I think discouragement probably is one of the biggest tools that Satan gets. If he really wants to soften me up, man, for the, with, with the side punches and the gut hits, he'll start out with discouragement. It, it'll just get you. you, you he says, look, I, I fought the fight, Mike. 
It's the fight that we all have to face and fight. And he says, but I fought the good fight. So that means it's not all only common to us, but it's a, it's a good thing. It's worthwhile to stand up for what is right and to stand up for God and to fight the things that are the enemies of God and take the thoughts captive that come against the teaching of Christ. It's been said that our greatest fear should not be failure, but our greatest fear should be succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Fight the fight. Instead of getting so involved in so many other things that they may be fine, they may be relaxing, they may be wonderful, I have to watch myself constantly, I might be doing something that is absolutely not a sin. What is a sin is that I spend so blooming much time and money on it. Man, that's a confession. Just telling you it's the truth. We have to be in the fight. And you have to take that seriously. Man, I, I used to years ago, believe it or not, uh, I used to get in some fights. One of the worst things that can happen to you in a fight, and I don't claim to be an expert, I lost more than I won. But I tell you, a quick way to lose one is to be in a fight and not know it. He's already got the first swing. And you didn't even know it was coming. You in a fight, you've been in a fight for about 30 seconds and you didn't realize it. Now you got asphalt in your teeth and you don't even know where he is. He's just beating the hound out of you. You, you, you got a job on your hands now. I want to tell you, Christians make no doubt, have no doubt about it. We are in a fight. We're in a fight. Fight's not a popular word for People nowadays, there's this progressive style of liberal Christianity that thinks that the goal of the Christian should be to get along with the world. And, and if we fit in, you know, if we fit in with them, that'll, that'll help us to help them. Man, that's, that's like seeing a bad wreck on the highway and you finding you a tree and driving straight into it so you can help those people over there. It's ridiculous. You, that's not how the gospel works. We have to stand up and, and if we really want to help people, trying to appease them or make their behavior okay when it's not, that's loving you. You're doing that because it makes you feel good, not because it helps them. That feeling of being inclusive and that, oh, I love everybody and I just think everybody's going to heaven and I just, I just don't think anybody's going to hell and all of that. You say those things because it makes you feel good. It doesn't help anyone. Man, I'm telling you. The Apostle Paul says, it's a fight. And and he said this. He said, at my first trial, later on in this same chapter, he said, no one stood with me. But in the very next verse, he says, but the Lord was with me. And I went back and I did a little look, and I'll give you these very quickly. But 
When he said the Lord was with me, I'll tell you where he learned the Lord would always be with him. I went back and looked. In Acts chapter 18, he got really discouraged when he was at Corinth. But he said, one night in a vision, the Lord came to me and told me, Paul, do not be afraid. In Acts chapter 23, he got locked up in prison in Jerusalem. And he said, the Lord came to me then. And told me to take courage. And then in uh, uh, Acts chapter 27, boy, he got in the middle of a storm. And everybody on the boat with him thought that we're all going to die. And all of a sudden, Paul stands up and waves and says, hey, everybody, listen. Yet now I urge you, he says, keep up your courage for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night, the angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me. That's where he learned that no matter where I am and what I get into, God is with me. Man, I love that. Hebrews 13, he says, I will never leave you. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, he says, I'll never leave you. Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, he says, I'll never leave you. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I will never leave you. No man will be able to stand before you. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, when you go out to battle, not if, when you go out to battle, and you see horses and chariots and a people greater, then you be not afraid of them, for I, the Lord your God, am with you. And I'll give you one more. Matthew 28, 20. Matthew was the most complete gospel. It was the most complete gospel that we have. That's why the church put it before Mark, even though Mark was the first gospel written. So it, it's, it's called the primacy of Matthew. But Matthew was placed first by the early church. But at the very last Verse, the very last thing that God says. Do you see that? Did the light come on for you? <laughs> Boy, what we could do with light effects. The very last thing he said in Matthew, I am with you always. Where could you ever be? That if he whispered that in your ear, Mike, I'm with you. I'm with you always. Wow. My grandkids, some of them are over this week. We've spent vacation time together recently. They love to ask me questions. They know, they've already heard from their mom and dad when I was 18. I got electrocuted along with another guy who died. I lived. I had grace of God. <laughs> they still want me to tell them how I shot myself. I've had cancer. God healed me of that. There's a lot of things in life. And one of these days, you know what? Instead of him being with me, I'm going to go on and be with him. But he is with us always, friend. Our focus, our fight. He has to also talk. He says, Timothy, keep your eye on the finish. He said in verse 7, I have finished the course. We're like athletes in a race. And he uses this analogy all through his writings. And let me just say this, I, I'll, and I'll move on. But 
There are two lines when it comes to a race. There's a starting line and a finish line. Our world today hates the finish line. They love the starting line. Because at the starting line, everyone is equal. Hallelujah. Discipline and training, they're not apparent at the starting line. You may have someone there that about had a heart attack just trying to bend over and get in the blocks. But it doesn't matter. He or she is dead even with everybody in the race at that point. Neither sacrifice nor laziness are evident at that point. There are no winners or losers at the starting line. Just participants. And everybody gets a trophy at the starting line. But it's the finish line our world loves to monkey with. Because at the finish line, there are winners and there are losers and they are separated. We can't stand that. Nowadays, that's just flies in our face. They're, oh, you're not going to like this. They're judges mm-hmm. at the finish line. <laughs> yeah. And let me tell you, those judicious timing devices are ruthlessly precise. They don't care if you had a bad day. They don't care if you slipped on the third step. They don't care about any of that. So here's the point. Starting is easy. Finishing is what's difficult. And to start out good and to not finish well is, is, is such a tragedy. Man, I'm 63 years old and I still worry. Uh, it's, it's not something that just bothers me day and night. But I I am still very concerned, God, whatever time I have left to preach Your Word, please, God, let me finish well. Because if you don't finish well, people will never remember all of the other things you did or said. They remember how you did not finish well. And you can't walk up to a race in the Olympics and say, well, I need some... I need a head start. Because when I was 17, I had scoliosis. My spine was twisted. And it's gotten worse as I've worked out over the years. No. Uh, and, and it's even more painful now. You, you, you can't say that and get a head start. So the guy that had scoliosis and that it got worse, was named Usain Bolt. And he just lined up in the blocks and said, see you later. He's so fast. When he got to the finish line, he was looking back. He thought the race had been called off. So awesome. Finish well. Man. Paul will later in this chapter tell Timothy, Demas, having loved this present world, in verse 10, has deserted me. He just loved this present world too much. He hung in there for a good while, but he just loved this world. It just kept drawing him, just kept pulling him. He just couldn't get away from it. He says, keep your eye on the finish, the focus, the fight, the finish. Also the faith. He says in verse 7, I have kept the faith. Kept here does not mean I, 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 I held on to it. No, it means I protected 
the faith. And if you read other places, Paul talks about the gospel that has been entrusted to us as a church. And he says, I feel responsible for what God has given me, and I have protected it. I did not compromise it. I have kept the faith. I have protected the faith that was given to us. Man, nothing parents will have a deeper abiding consequence on your children than how you protect the faith. The things you will do and will not do because you are honoring the faith that you have been given. You are honoring the gospel. And I will tell you this, Paul told Timothy in his first letter to him in 3.15, he says the church is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of truth. But for some reason nowadays, it seems like when it comes to real truth, we sort of turned that over to the universities and, and we've decided that, well, this place is about beliefs and, and the laboratory uh, at UNC, that's about real objective truth. I, I, I got news for you, friend. We are the church. We have been given the responsibility to be a support of the truth. That word for support is a word for seawall is one of the ways that it is used. The waves are going to bash and dash against it and the temptation to compromise is going to always be there. But I will tell you this, just like the law of gravity, God's given us other laws. Laws about marriage and sexuality and all of those. And just like you can't break the law of gravity without hurting yourself, you won't don't break the other laws either without destruction, friend. We are to protect and keep and stand and be a seawall for the truth. Last of all, focus, fight, finish, faith. wonder what this one starts with. Keep an eye on your future, Timothy. Verse 8, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. There's two words in the Greek for crown. Stephanos is the one that's a wreath made of leaves and small limbs. And then diadema is the crowns like kings wore, they're made of gold or whatever. This is the wreath. And I thought about this. <laughs> because when you took your wreath home, it stayed green a few days, but it, then it would begin to kind of dry up and fade. It's sort of like, uh, you know, when a girl uh, gets, uh, it's how it used to be. I don't know anymore. I'm, I just, just think, youth, this was ancient times, okay? But she'd get this thing, flower to go on her arm, and then when she got home from the prom, she would take it and put it in a book and Close that. Is that right? Am I, have I got that right? And she'd just keep it, and it'd dry up and get brown. And then years later, she would look at it, and she man, that looks just like the guy that took me to the prom. He's dried up too. <laughs> but I think this is worth more than him. Those old crowns would they'd curl up and die. You could keep them, but. They wouldn't look like they start out. I love it. First Peter chapter 5, verse 4. Peter tells us that one day we will receive a crown that will not fade. 
And Paul tells us it is a crown of righteousness. And there's that word. I, I didn't put it in there. He did. But there is our word again. A crown of righteousness. Man, that's the best thing he could give you. That's what we have to have. He has to give us that crown of righteousness. We don't deserve it. We understand that. And he says he is a righteous judge. The, the crown of righteousness will come from the righteous judge right there in, in verse 8. How can he forgive me or how can he give Michael Snellgrove the worst sinner in the world? How could he possibly ever give me a crown of righteousness unless he's a God that says, well, since I'm God, I can monkey with the books and tinker with the figures and I'll work something out, Mike. You just, you just plan on coming on to heaven when you die. No, he's a righteous judge. He's a righteous judge, but because he came and he died on the cross for my sorry, worthless soul, and he gave me righteousness as a gift of grace, and because he paid the penalty for my sin, he is completely righteous in doing so. Wow. Crown of righteousness from the righteous judge he said it's laid up for me on that day and I'll close with this he says he will award me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing those who love his appearing not the vast majority of the world that if they even really thought one day God might come back, they probably wouldn't sleep for a month. Now, those who love His appearing. C.S. Lewis said one time, I find, my, I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy. Have you figured that out too? I have. He says, the only logical explanation is that I was made. For another world. Yeah. This is not my home. Man. To all those who will love his. Appearing. I told you here a while back. I've stopped asking. People so much. Are you going to heaven? Here's where you get answers from. Hope so. Maybe so counting on it, doing the best I can. None of those answers make any sense if you understand what heaven is about. A better question I've learned is, why do you want to go to heaven? It's going to be the most not-about-you place you've ever been in your life. Really. We're going to worship God. Remember how we begged you to come to church to do that? Got the place, air conditioned, these, these chairs. This, man, they're, they're so comfortable. We, just, we got lights that come on and off. We, we, we got it all. That's people that never cared a thing. You couldn't pay them to go somewhere and care about God for just a fraction of their week.
how could they possibly give a hoot about heaven? Why would you want to go somewhere and have to worship somebody you don't even know? And I think universalists, that's the people who teach that kind of trash, I think they must believe that, well, after a few million years, the lost people will finally catch on. What, what are we thinking? Man, we need a relationship with Christ. We have to love His appearing. Be ready for it. Boy, I'd love for the Lord to come back. I, and I, I don't say that because I'm such a good person. One, I'm a little bit of a coward. I, I still, even though I have come so close to it so many times, I'd like to skip that whole death thing, you know? I've always thought we should maybe try next time to live life backwards. Wouldn't you like that? Start out dead and get that out of the way. <laughs> and, and you start out smart <laughs> and saving you money. And the longer you live, the more you enjoy yourself. And finally the day comes, you just slobber on people. And do other things I won't mention. That's not how life is. But I would love for him to come back. And one day he will. One day God will stand to his feet in heaven, however that works, I don't know. And say, that's enough. Go get my bride. Go get my bride. My goodness. We live in a world that's gone crazy. But you, but me, we have to learn how to succeed in a godly way. To pass on to these young people, our children, and to the next generation a legacy that's godly. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you right now and I ask you, Lord, please take these words today. Not that I spoke, but that you spoke, God. I, I pray, Lord, if, if something just was of me, I, I pray, God, we forget it before we leave. But I pray, God, what you've had to say today to some heart, to someone, Lord, who feels they've lost their way, to someone, God, who, Lord, they just... They need a do-over. They needed to hear this today. I pray, God, that you touch that heart. Help us, Lord, as born-again children of God, to understand and know the only way, Lord, that we can pass on to the next generation what they need to know about you is to give ourselves to you like an old drink offering, God. Help us. Help me, Lord. So many times I want to claim my right. So many times I want to cry that something was unfair. I pray, Lord, you'd help me to walk more quietly and more humbly before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.